When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your playing can be as expressive, almost, as your voice. You know, like you talk to you talk to your wife or your girlfriend on the telephone with a different tone of voice than you talk to the guy who's late with your pizza or the one who just messed up your car, right? And we have this, you know, wide range of vocal things that we can do, you know, with our voice that imparts different meanings. And that works on the trumpet. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Peter Bond. Peter, well, he's a late bloomer. Starting out as a self-described trumpet meathead with poor playing habits, no one would have predicted his career as a renowned classical musician. His 28-year run with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra gave him the opportunity to play alongside some of the trumpet world's greatest talents and support opera's legendary performers. And with his book, The Singing Trumpet, Peter hopes to ease the way for trumpeters of every style to find their unique voice. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Welcome to this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang, and I am joined by Mr. Peter Bond. Peter, yes, the the royal wave. Exactly, exactly. Or is it Pope Peter? I, I don't know. So. Ooh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have the hat for it. Uh, That's right. It's all about the wardrobe. Exactly. Um, so you know, this is uh, another one of those uh, those great hangs where uh, I'm getting to know you as we go. Uh -huh process so this is going to be a lot of fun for me i have heard so many wonderful things about you i mean i've heard you're playing obviously you know you 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 are a man of of uh of a wonderful talent and you've had a, a wonderful career and you know we'll talk about that a little bit but um and i think the one thing that sticks out in my mind about about you is uh from everyone that i've, I've heard and all the things i've seen uh on your your social media is um how extremely serious you are about all things in life you just seem to have like this this uh you, you have like zero sense of humor so uh we're gonna see what we can do about that. Sure you're looking at the right page oh, oh okay <laughs> <laughs> it's the wrong peter bond it's the wrong guy yeah no 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 the, seriously though you know it, it seriously your your uh your sense of humor is one of the things that sets you apart you seem to have a very uh light-hearted approach to things you're serious about what you do but not necessarily serious you know in terms of like you, you can't you can't find the humor in the situation yeah i think there's a quote by a i don't know who it was i think it was clint eastwood of all people and it was like don't it was like don't do take seriously what you do, but don't take yourself too seriously. And yeah, I, yeah. you know, but humor is also a survival, you know, mechanism, you know, true enough, uh, true enough. you know, so it, uh, and it's just, I guess the way I deal with a lot of, you know, situations, hopefully, and, uh, it helps, it helps me from getting, you know, down, you know, cause all of us, 
all of us trumpet players, you know, uh, you know, embarrass ourselves in public, you know, pretty, <laughs> you know, fairly often. So you have to have a sense of humor. Otherwise, you, you know, it's going to be, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's um, I think it's part of the job description, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to have a sense of humor and or masochistic tendencies. One of the two. Right. Yeah. If you're in the fiddle section, you can kind of like have a bad night. Nobody knows it. But if you're the trumpet player, everybody knows it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you just recently moved from uh, the East Coast. Right. Uh, and so you're you're located in New Mexico now? I am. Uh, I played here 30 years ago. I, I played for uh, five years in the... Uh, the New Mexico Symphony, which is now reorganized as a, a different entity in Albuquerque. And my wife and I really loved it out here. It was my first orchestra job. I'd been a freelancer before that, my first orchestra job. And then uh, several auditions later, I got the Met. But um, we always uh, we always thought about, you know, coming back here. And I thought retirement kind of called for a change of scenery anyway. And it's just beautiful here. And uh, there's a you know, every day I wake up, I feel like I'm on vacation. I kind of look like I'm on vacation today, actually. <laughs> but maybe that's what retirement's about. Hey, well, you know, you you uh, you're enjoying the warmth down there as uh, we on the East Coast are getting pelted by uh, snow and freezing rain. And well, I am at seven thousand feet, so it's not exactly toasty warm here, but it it is scenic. Oh, okay. Well, we'll give you that. And I. I I get out of breath just opening my horn case now, so it's uh, it's going to take some months to adjust. Okay, well that's good. Well, uh, you know, happy for you. So you retired from your gig at the Met, correct? Right, right. In 2020, COVID kind of forced me out two years before I would have. I was not going to stay past 30 years, and that's when their pension max maxes out, you know. And uh, and uh, I didn't need to play another Madame Butterfly or Norma or you know. As fantastic as, you know, the gig is, I was ready yeah. to be somewhere else. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can understand that completely. Uh, so with the, with the Met, um, you know, the, the repertoire that you, you have to work with, it, it, it seems like there's going to be those repeating, uh, repeating shows that you're going to have to do. Sure. But, sure. Um, I mean, so if you had to, to, to categorize uh, your experience there, you know, there, there's going to be the highlights and they're going to be the things that you are not going to miss at all. What what, what would be, some of those be? Well, I, I suppose um, different people react differently uh, to this part of the job, but uh, trumpet players... Oddly, um, it was a it was a thing in the late in the nineteenth uh, century where most of our core repertory comes from. It was a thing for Verismo to have trumpet players on stage, you know, either as a marching band or part of the action or so. So there's a lot of costume work and stuff on stage, whether it's Aida with the long trumpets or um, some of the operas like Elazir have have very involved shtick that you have to do with with the singers. And uh, that's very, very interesting. And some people really like it. I happen to enjoy it. Some people would rather not have anything to do with it. So uh, for the trumpet, for my myself, I was either toiling away in complete anonymity Anonymity? I think I said that right. In a dark opera pit, or you're on stage dressed like a fool, you know, with lights on you. And it's, it's, that's a very interesting um, uh, dichotomy. So that was a very interesting part of the gig. Yeah, that sounds like it. And I mean, then, 
Yeah, and, and you know, some of the bel canto operas are just terribly tedious orchestra parts, you know, all, you know, very glorious singing, but you're going, um, pa, 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 you know, then it gets old, you know. So, um, uh, uh, I guess I would say that was one of the downsides, you know, and, and it's a very, the job has a strange rhythm to it. Uh, uh, operas are very long. So, you know, an average opera is like three hours and some of them are six hours. And so that's a long commitment. And you're, um, and you're, you're, I, uh, you're in the dark all the time, which seems kind of odd, but you're down in the dark pit with lights. And even when we rehearse, it's in the basement, no windows, nothing. And it, it got me very depressed. It really bugged me. I didn't realize it at the time. And then when I started bicycling and bicycling to work, all of a sudden I had a whole new attitude towards it. I, I think it, that had something to do with it. Uh, and then, of course, you're working with, you know, fabulous artists. And so that that's, you know, you know, even even if you're a musical idiot, you're going to you're going to absorb something by osmosis by hearing Pavarotti and Rene Fleming and, you know, uh, Rene Papa and, you know, name them, name the singer, you know, so being surrounded by that. Uh, uh, those artists and the orchestra are also they're killer players, you know. So it just with good people as as jazz player, it lifts you up. It makes you better. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it when you were talking about being uh, being in the pit, um, mm -hmm. the pit of despair, as it would be. Um, there, I, I'm painting a darker picture than, than I should probably. No, no well, not at, no. Uh, but but what I mean is that uh, I mean there there's definitely science that backs up that um, you know when we're deprived of light, uh, it does affect us uh, on a mental basis. You know our our, uh, our happiness begins to diminish a little bit, and uh, right. it, it, it's really important to to get sunlight for that. I mean, also there's the, the health benefits like vitamin D and, and all that good stuff. Uh, uh, you know, lack of lack. It's, it's funny as it seems to be, lack of light actually leads to worse sleep. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, I can uh, see that. Yeah. So I think it's important, you know, for for all of us. You know, it, you know, unless you're unless you're working like outdoors at a at amusement park or something like that. Uh, right. You know, most of the gigs that we're doing are indoors, and you're you know, if you're in in uh, the opera or if you're on Broadway, you're in the pit. If you're playing in a, right. a bar band, you're you're inside at night. Right. Uh, you're at night. Yeah, we live on the other side of the clock from most working people, and I think it's important to kind of get out and you know have something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we were, uh, as we were getting to know each other prior to the the start of the episode, one of the things that uh, you know, I'm just going to dive right into this one because this is a big one for me. Um, you're talking about your uh, your somewhat unique pedagogical approach as a mouthful, right there. Um, I'm and proud of I, you for saying that correctly. <laughs> don't ask me to do it. Two syllables over the brass player's limit, right? <laughs> exactly. If it's not too ta do da, yeah, can't do, say. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, me play trumpet. That's uh, right. So, um, you, as a result, it seems like as a result of your experience uh, with the Met, uh, that that you've kind of created this mind shift about your approach to trumpet so i mean can you kind of take me take me through some of the the major points that that kind of led you to where you are with with the publication of uh, the singing trumpet book and oh you know, well 
I, um, my background is in drum and bugle corps. I grew up playing that, you know, Neanderthal, you know, just meathead playing. I loved it. It was, you know, a lot of fun. But I didn't have conventional, you know, um, high-quality instruction from an early age. And so that was just, you know, and I, I was a high-note guy, a pounder. And that that got me into college, but I, I could barely read music. And, every, you know, the band director got me in, but I had been rejected by the audition committee. I was a miserable musician. They got me in. And, I, and then it was all about playing catch-up. You know, it's all, oh, you know, and I've had almost every bad habit that a brass player can have, I think, you know, and, and so I became very interested in, you know, in pedagogy. How do you do this? How do you do that? And, you know, because I was always having to change my technique to, you know, come out of this, you know, kind of caveman approach. And, um, and so I, I began, uh, I would, I, I finally found a good teacher in Atlanta. John had the principal at the time took me under his wing, became a mentor and became a good teacher. Uh, I had had to quit playing because of dental pain. I, that's the kind of, you know, playing I did. So I had to start, you know, kind of start over and he shepherded me through that and, and helped me start a freelance career down there. And then I began going to Chicago to study with those men. Cause those were the gurus, uh, coincidentally, um, of the day, you know, if you wanted to be a symphony guy, you went and study with Chickowitz, Herseth, Jacobs, blah, blah, blah. And so I did that. Um, and I, I did get my first position in Albuquerque, um, which was a good orchestra, but I, um, I, I did have, uh, you know, frustrations. There were still problems and I had problems with that, with that, um, with that pedagogy. Um, and I would be, I played all right. I would get, I would take auditions. I'd be the runner up or I'd be always in the finals and almost, but it wasn't quite, there was something wrong. And, um, so finally I get lucky in 92, I got the Met job. Um, but, um, I didn't get tenure. Uh, they were going to cut me loose and it was like, and it was just, and I had been through the same thing with the Philharmonic a couple of years beforehand, where I went through a protracted audition with them. Um, uh, and they, they treated me well. They were great. Phil, uh, Phil Smith and, and Penzrell and all those guys, they treated me beautifully, but I wasn't ready. I wasn't the guy. And there were some problems with my playing and, Lo and behold, here I am at the Met. I got lucky, and now it's a nightmare. I'm going through the same thing again. And this time, instead of running to Chicago, I turned to my colleague, Jim Pandolfi, you know, who played nothing like anyone I'd ever seen, neither he or Gould. I sat between them. And, uh, and Mel Broyles is another story, but also completely different. And I, and I asked Jim, um, uh, you know, think it could help me out here a little bit? And Jim was like the ultimate professionally says, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but since you ask, and we went to his apartment and in 20 minutes, uh, he just turned my head all around. Now I had to be ready to receive the information. Um, but it was, um, and then, and he's a, he's a gifted teacher and a fantastic, uh, a player. Uh, he, he'd be an interesting guest for you to have, but, um, and after that experience, everything started to lock up. And then I began to notice the, the actual parallels with the singers. You're going, oh, this, this is exactly what those guys do, you know? And for instance, um, uh, I'll have kids go. Um, the first thing I'll have a kid do is uh, uh, put your hand on your sternum and, and blow as if you're blowing up birthday candles. <laughs> kind of the way we're taught to play, right? All right, now 
Put your hand here again, take a breath, and sing a note. Anything. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. All right, now blow out the birthday candles again. <sighs> What's different? The chest collapses when you blow. The chest stays up when you sing. Oh, that's weird. And some trumpet teachers have actually said that. Claude Gordon, um, uh, uh, Herbert Clark, but they never said why. They don't tell you why. And singing and blowing are completely different activities. They use air completely differently. And, ideally, and theoretically, we're supposed to imitate singers, but we're using a pedagogy that has nothing to do with that. Right. And, like, and, and as I mentioned earlier, in my first... Um, uh, before we started the broadcast, we had these um, uh, Zitz probe rehearsals, which is a rehearsal with just the orchestra. This is one of the first things we do, conductor, orchestra, and then the principal singers. And they'll be in the back, you know, so as are the trumpets. So they'll be standing right behind us. And any one of these singers can just bury a hundred piece orchestra. They're just unbelievable. And I'm looking at, and they sound amazing. And I'm looking at them. They're not doing the histrionic breathing that I was taught to do. They're not turning red in the face. You know, uh, I'm thinking, can I do what they do? And it, it fit very nicely with, with Jim's pedagogy. So ba ba basically what I wound up doing is um, I try to use my, use my body exactly the way I would to sing, except I'm moving the engine from here to there. And I've got this big brass thing in front of my face. I just treat it like a part of my body. I don't blow into it. I make a racket right here and I let this thing do its job. And I control everything from here. Because this is endlessly variable. This is plumbing. This is fixed, except for right. pushing on the buttons. So, uh, and it's worked, it's worked beautifully. And then you can take the, um, uh, you know, you, we have I, roughly there's two different kinds of singer, very generally speaking. There's trained voices, right? That's opera, leader, choral singers, you know, and everything is, you know, kind of pompous and like that. Okay. And then there's rock and roll, Broadway, jazz singers. And, and I've, and that their singing is um, more compressive uh, like that, not less expressive, but you know, it's different. And I've asked opera singers, what's the difference between you and a Broadway singer? All they say is resonance. They're maximizing resonance because that's, that's where their acoustic power comes from. Most of the other singers, they sing on mic. They don't need that resonance. And also it's idiomatically wrong, right? So if, if you've ever heard an opera singer like, you know, Placido Domingo sing a pop tune, it's like, no, don't do that. It's just not right. And very few people from the the, the uh, uh, pop or Broadway world sing uh, opera. There's a couple, and some of them have had operatic training, but generally the two worlds are really different. And I think there's a parallel with with brass players, right? There's our classical guys and and jazz and commercial guys, but unlike the singers, many of us have to hop back and forth between those, especially students in school, right? They're going to play in the big band, the big band jazz, and then they've got the symphony orchestra at night, and then maybe have a quintet gig, and, and they're having to do all these different styles, and that's the modus operandi of the freelance trumpet player, to be able to, you know, all styles. Well, it's more than just changing your mouthpiece and playing long quarter notes or swinging the eighth notes. It's, you know, it's a characteristic approach, and we, you can use vocal models to do that, and it works beautifully to switch between the style. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And it's, it's, it's not about, it's about da, 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 da. 
you know, and, and if you do that, your, your playing can be as expressive almost as your voice, you know, like you talk to, you talk to your wife or your girlfriend on the telephone with a different tone of voice than you talk to the guy who's late with your pizza or the one who just messed up your car. Right. And we have this, you know, wide range of vocal things that we can do, you know, with our voice that imparts different meanings and that works on the trumpet. But it is, it flies a little bit in the face of, or a lot of bit in the face of current, you know, university pedagogy. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, that, that's really fascinating to me, um, you know, to, to find that parallel. And, yeah. and you know, that, that yeah, you know, uh, playing the trumpet is a way of expressing our, our thoughts, our, our emotions, or should be when we're creating music. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the way that we would typically do it is, you know, through speech or through through song. And Sure, sure. So it makes absolute sense that that, that correlation should exist. And, and in terms of like, I mean, from from not only the, the, the physiological perspective, but also from the, the psychological, the psych, uh, the, you know, so. Yeah. The way that you would think about, uh, you know, because when we think about articulation, a lot of times, you know, we're, we're thinking about, well, what syllable am I supposed to be right. using as opposed to what emotion or intent am I supposed to be expressing? Right. Or every time you pick up the horn, you're doing a bunch of things that your sixth grade band director told you to do. Right. It, and it's now, now it's automatic, but you're doing a bunch of mechanical things. Oh, I must put my tongue here and go. And then, and then I, I'm hoping that that'll turn into the music that I want. And some players play like that pretty well, but it is, it is um, expressively limiting, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I'm thinking about that's going to trap me into sounding one way, whereas if I can do, you know, if I can make it like speech, I can sound like a different guy, right? So I can make my Haydn sound different than my Gershwin, than my Mahler, than, you know, you're like an actor, right? You put on a different mask or you put on a different costume and you become a different guy, even within the context of a sonata or a concerto or a, or a you know, a, a tune, you know, a Broadway tune. You can, you can change these styles and the, and the emotional content. So uh, I think, you know, to your point, yeah, if, if you're going to use speech and song, which most of us are very good at, I, not that we're operatic singers, but we've been doing that since we were toddlers, use that to control our trumpet, we have more expressive freedom or expressive potential. Yeah. So would you, would you classify the, the difference as being that uh, of, of the level of resonance? Uh, and, or is, it, is there an actual change in tone? Tonal character. Oh, very much change in tone. Yeah, uh, and there are there are mechanical things that can come into it too. And I don't want to jump into that. You know, you know, if you have a dysfunctional embouchure, that's going to be difficult to do. You know, so I'm looking for the optimal. But after that, um, yeah. So if I'm gonna, um, for instance, if I blow like that, that takes some of the high harmonics out of the sound, and that's going to ironically cut my projection because our projection is about the harmonic activity. Now I can blow, I can play loud, but it's, it's, it's going to distort. The sound is not going to be as resonant, not as colorful, not as beautiful. Whereas, uh, whereas if I go, ah, let the traps just come alive right here and then let this thing do its job. So I'm not going to blow for the bell. I'm not going to blow for the exit signs. I make a racket, if you will, right here. And I let the trumpet do its thing. So 
So this feels a little brighter, a little bit noisier, and I think about making everything in my mouth. You know, and I'll pressurize a little bit maybe and open my uh, uh, chops if I want something, you know, really powerful and strong or fiery, or I can very much mellow it out by singing in, in that manner. And the, and the trumpet just acts as a resonator, amplifier, you know, et, right. et cetera. Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, you're talking about like, you know, the the difference between the chest staying up and the chest yeah. collapsing and, and how that's yeah. something that, you know, yeah, I remember reading it in Claude Gordon's book and, and yeah. you know, so like that. And, and like you said, you know, people will say things and they won't necessarily explain why, or a lot of times they just don't, I mean, they really don't know why it's just, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But, but yeah. what I, what I, what I find interesting with that is that, you know, you, you've got these concepts that are just so, natural it's kind of like staring us in the face in, in many ways if you will um and we don't we don't gather the the whole picture because i've been told so many times like well when you you know when you, you need to sing this you know and you know if you're having trouble with this passage sing the passage and i always thought about it as just to get the pitch in my right. head right as opposed to in the ear yeah 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 that's really really that Okay, that was worth the, the price of admission right there. So, folks. Yeah, you, you can play. You can place your if – you th if you think of everything happening behind the mouthpiece, you've got control over the instrument. You, you can place notes vocally. And uh, some, some of uh, – a lot of players, particularly lead players, will know about this. Thinking in falsetto or, or taking a sniff through the nose. Some guys call it topping off. They'll take a breath. And right before they play, both things raise the soft palate if you breathe through your nose. And that sets you for the high register, same as falsetto. And the trumpet sounds at least an octave out of the male vocal range, right? So it never made sense to me, you know, to do the Arnold Jacobs or to, to, to go, I don't play it, I don't play it. That seemed nonsensical to me. Right. <laughs> like a recipe for disaster. But, but likewise, to back to the point, if I think back here, I can think of placing da, 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 dee, da, 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 whereas if I blow, I become a slave to the intonation problems or tendencies of the trumpet with which we're all familiar. But I can place those notes. If I just blow, so I'm, the fifth is flat and then the, the high note is sharp. But I can if I, I can place them vocally, and it it the the other thing about thinking of singing it saves a lot of wear and tear in your face. You can last a long time. I can place those notes exactly where I want them by thinking of using that singing model. So it's been not only expressively, but it also has a you know the real world practical. Um, uh, uh, benefit of saving the face takes a lot of heat off of this uh you know that yeah, business yeah. and uh and i can control the instrument a little better now the, the the singing model does go away above high c that's when you have to kind of go into turbo because you know, the, the um the uh, uh acoustics of the instrument change you know you don't have the reinforced standing wave in the horn anymore now it's like whoosh, everything happens outside the belt and you have to go into turbo and then fine but now you've got that you've got it you know yeah. Yeah, you have. You know, I, I, I guess it was about a. It's last year. I was having a conversation with, uh, with Wayne Bergeron, uh, mm -hmm. and, and we were talking about some things, um, 
And this was as he was he was going through some of his uh, medical stuff and and kind of having to retool some of his playing stuff. Mm-hmm. And he he said like, well, where his break, his natural break is on the horn, had kind of changed mm-hmm. uh, as a result of, of what was going on. And he said, and he said something to me, and it, I never thought about it. He goes, yeah, like I used to be able to play to to this note uh, in my full sound, and then I had to switch to my head sound like you know yeah. singers would say yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. falsetto that occurred at like high a or or, or double b or something like that right. you know yeah. and, and it shifted um i was like wow i never really thought of that of like okay everything from f sharp low f sharp to to high e or high f or something like that that's that's my my regular sound and then everything above that i have to think about that like i if i'm singing of uh, switching to that falsetto so that exactly. was really a cool concept and it really helped me to to smooth some transitions that i had some breaks on the horn to try and you know figure out where i need to make those switches so that, that's right. Really All cool. of them have kind of, yeah, you, there's like, it's almost like the break on a clarinet, right? And, and if you, you can play up to a certain point and then it goes, uh, and then, and then maybe a high note pops out or a higher pitch, like a third or something. And, and it's like, Oh, and you can work your way down from that note to go. And you kind of learn that feel. Yeah. How you do that for a lot of guys, it's right above uh, double G or G sharp. There's a, there's a break right there. I can't speak to Wayne Bergeron. I mean, that guy lives up there, but you know, uh, you know, for me, it was right there. And for years I could, I, it was like, I went up against this ceiling and no, you know, nothing on earth was going to enable me to play the top note in the Brandenburg, which, you know, uh, uh, it's until I discovered a different way of thinking about playing, you know, Oh, maybe if I play into that note instead of up to that note, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, and I just, Oh, that's an entirely different feel. Exactly. As, as I, I think as, as Wayne was talking about, Oh, it's a whole different feel, you know, and, and, um, and then it's like, oh, okay. And it is a kind of a break. Yeah. And these, these guys, you know, learn how to negotiate it very well. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I, I really love that. And I'm going to, and I'm personally going to play around with that a whole lot more. I was, I'm actually kind of disappointed. Um, I had asked Santa Claus for a copy of your book for Christmas, but uh, unfortunately he decided that I needed a sweater more than I needed a, another comfort <laughs> method book. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'm definitely that, that's definitely on, on my must must read list because I've you know so many people that I have a, a lot of respect for as players have you know talked about about your book and and how uh, very insightful it was and and you know just getting these little nuggets it's like oh man that's really going to help me to to put some of the pieces together with some of the problems I've been having. Yeah, I think um, of it as a book of ideas. It's not a progressive method. It's like. You know, half of it is text and things that I've discovered. You might want to try this or I want to try that, you know, uh, and, you know, how what I've discovered, and how things work. And then the second half is like exercises with explanations, but you just take them as you need them and customize them to your needs, you know? Yeah. Why not, you know? Well, and one of the things I love is uh, you know, what you had said earlier about your, you know, your the early part of your career of, uh, you know, being in the meathead trumpet, you know, mode. Oh, absolutely. And- doing doing everything wrong uh, yeah, yeah. getting some results you know obviously you're getting some results uh, i had but- a certain amount of success so i thought i was a big deal you know 
and then uh, and then figuring things out as, as you know you were no longer able to get the the kind of results that, that you wanted or needed as your circumstances changed. Um, and I think that's so critical because um, you know a lot of people were, were afraid of failing. We're we're afraid of uh, you know like going from the 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 big fish in a small pond thing. We don't want to we don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we uh, you know. Our, our weaknesses are 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 the lacks of lack in our abilities are highlighted, but yeah, when yeah, you sure. do that and you're and you kind of come to that realization that you know you need to address issues and you need to find solutions to problems. Um, I think that's where we start to get into the innovation uh, that that comes in pedagogy because you know there are so many players that, I, and I hate to use the word natural because there's nothing natural. About but we all know what you mean, yeah. But you know. Uh, there are some people that that there are certain things that just have predispositioned them to be able to make sense of stuff, and mm -hmm. they don't understand why. They don't understand right. how. It's just well, I, I I put here, I blow air, beautiful sound come out, all mm -hmm. good with the world. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the people that have really had to struggle with things, right? To, to put it together, and then you get a, a clearer idea of what to do and also why what you were doing didn't work as efficiently as possible. Um, so from a pedagogical perspective, um, you know, you obviously had like the, the influence of the, you know, the Chicago school. Uh, you, you've had- but That only worked for me to a degree. After a while, it didn't, it didn't work. And right. I, would go, I would play for these guys and they couldn't help me. And uh, I was like, so it was a little bit limiting, you know, uh, and uh, I was playing at a reasonably high level, but they couldn't, they could, they just had one answer, you know, uh, you know, they had some, interest, some interesting mental and musical concepts, of course, they're fabulous musicians, um, but um, I had to seek a different kind of a different path. And, and um, one of the things that we trumpet players or all brass players, we deal with is everybody wants I'll speak for everybody. Everybody wants to play yes. higher, louder, faster. Some people even want a better tone, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. and they hate it when stuff feels different, right? Oh, this is my lucky scar on my lip where I won all state, you know, so my mouthpiece has to go here. And if they don't accept that it's going to feel different, they're never going to sound different. So there's a, there's a, there's going to be a space where things feel like, whoa, kind of out of control. And you have to trust your ears and maybe some trusted, you know, friends and, and be willing to let go of that. You know, the way I used to play, I had a death grip on the horn and it gave me great security, but I had to let go of that to be able to do other things. And so, um, you know, we have to be kind of open-minded, you know, about uh, doing things differently. Um, and, and the fact that it's going to feel a little bit weird and uncomfortable and unfamiliar, and that's going to allow us to go to the next plateau. Yeah. yeah but, and discover the new thing that we need want to do. Right, right. It, well, you know, it, it's 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 part of human nature. Uh sure. it's not just the trumpet world, but you know, it's it, it, we find ourselves in these little camps. Uh, you know, this is what we know, this is what the people around us know, um, and, and this is what they believe, and we become very uh set in our ways and, and very hesitant to accept new concepts, new ideas that might conflict with ours not thinking about it in the terms of this is a, a an additional approach or this is a, an alternate approach it's right. a binary 
it's it's right or wrong sort yeah. of thing. Right. And, right. You know, I, I just as you you're pulling out these kind of concepts that do somewhat fly in the face of some traditional pedagogical approaches. Um, what's been like the the major pushback that you've gotten? I mean, what what are the what, what are the things that people you know? It, oh, people don't get in my face about it, you know, but it, it's like, you, you said it very well, but you know, some of the stuff is like received wisdom, right? And we will never argue with what so-and-so said because he was the great master and, you know, and this is how it must be. And, but we as humans, we all perceive things differently. We describe things differently, um, uh, you know, and you know, so get myself in trouble here, but, you know, trying to learn, that's why you can't learn music out of a book, right? You read the words and, you know, if you tell, if you have a group of 10 high school trumpet players and you say, use more air, they're going to do 10 different things. They're going to, you know, or, or whatever you, you tell them, they're going to interpret it in their own way and you're going to get different kinds of uh, uh, sounds. So um, uh, the questioning even received wisdom you know you must take this kind of breath okay but you know you know or you know i'm I, i'm i'm kind of fumbling over my words here but um uh and be, being willing to question everything but trust your ears and listen to you know what attracts you uh uh you know sonically and uh and musically i i like i like to cultivate what I consider a sensuous sound, which is to say it's a sound that's beautiful for its own sake. Some singers have this, not everybody, but they sing one note and you go, I'll listen to that person sing the phone book. That's, that tone is so beautiful. And I think we can have that as, as brass players if we pay attention, but it involves a lot of times letting go of some received wisdom or standard pedagogy, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So trusting our ears and, and, you know, what if I try this thing, you know, and, and, uh, and, and not hewing too closely to um, the rules, you know? Yeah. I tell students there's, there's no rules. The only rule really is blowing the small end. And I've already said, don't blow. So I, I've already, exactly. but after that, everything's up for grabs, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. and we just have to say, this sounds good. And this sounds maybe less good or you'd be discriminating about that. I don't like that. I want to sound like this, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And because of my sordid past, when students come to me, most, I can usually say, oh, I used to do that. Or there's sound because everything, most of what happens with the trumpet is invisible, right? It's inside you can, you know, the experienced teacher can go, oh, this is probably happening. And there's some diagnostics you can do. And you say, this is probably what's happening. Um, uh, I used to do that. You might want to try this and it's going to feel like that. And you can kind of set them up for, oh, it's going to feel weird. It's going to be cool. Just, you know, and assure them, you know, and, and then you get the sound and, they, and the light goes on. They go, oh, and, they, and then you're on the same then you're talking the same language and then you, you can say, yeah, I, I, I can say as a teacher, that sounds wonderful. I think you, you, you need to cultivate that. That's going to bring the audience to you. And, and then I ask them, what's it feel like? And maybe they come up with whole different language. You know, they use entirely different words, which gives me more teaching tools. 
and more, you know, ways to think about it. But it's, you know, it, it, it's very cool. Uh, and, and some of the most interesting students I've had are the ones that who have thought the most differently than I did. And, and what to begin with is like talking to a Martian. You know? It's yeah, like, yeah. really? You think about, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fascinating. Yeah, it is because, um, like you say, it, the, you think about it the way you think about it. And mm -hmm. you, use, you use the vocabulary that you have, and that may not work for someone else. And Right. You want to have as many descriptors as possible exactly so learn yeah adding those to your 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 tool belt and, and when i do diagnostic things with people uh it's always you know like well i i'll, I'll ask a lot of questions and it's it's usually you know like, well you know what what does it feel like to you uh what are you thinking about as you do this how or you know how are you thinking about what is the result that you're trying to get and you know and just you know, getting these sure. questions try and get inside someone's head and then yeah. once you can do that then it's easier to try and, and talk that language um, right but uh you know when you're when you're talking about the feeling um i think this is where a lot of times we we, we uh get hung up is we confuse uh comfort with correctness oh absolutely absolutely because whenever we change something you know if you say all right i want you to do this and you change it and then if you say does that feel better it it may not feel better it's not because it's not it's not what they're used to doing it, so it feels uncomfortable exactly right you know it feels you different right so they're uncomfortable or, or or you ask is that is that easier or harder and they'll say and, and perhaps they sounded really good. They'll say, oh, it was really hard. And I said, really? It didn't look like you were working very hard. And then they'll say, yeah, but it feels, it felt so weird. And I went, those are different things. <laughs> so yeah. you're, I think you're right on the money. And I, I, I think I'll teach along those lines as well. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Very cool. Um, so you, when you talked about your your sordid past, and we, we won't get in get into all of that because I'm sure that my prison record we will yeah, leave that yeah, out. The statute yeah. of limitations is not yeah. up yet on all yeah, of those. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, going from uh, drum corps into uh, you know freelance work, uh, you know, in your years at the Met, things like that. Um, I mean, when, when you were a young player, when when you were out there pounding out the high notes, did you ever? see yourself as being uh someone who who would uh, forge a career playing primary oh heavens no no in fact um drum corps was kind of my only live music experience and I, it was very exciting and it was you know uh and, and i loved it and i had you know it's, it's a very communal thing and so we had a club now my my father had he had bought a um a hi-fi system and he bought up like 300 records at a garage sale and i would listen to these recordings of symphonies and and uh we uh, it, different kinds of music but i didn't equate what was on those records with what i did i didn't even it was almost as if those weren't even real people that that was a, i loved it but i couldn't imagine it and then i one of the very first concerts i ever heard talk about blowing your mind um in my senior year of high school, they started a jazz band. So that was fun. And they took us to this festival. And I heard the Maynard Ferguson band. I'd never heard like a live big band or even, and I just about wet my pants. I, I couldn't believe human beings could do that. You know, and they saw it down the entire MF2 album. Like it was in like, 
two in the afternoon. The whole album, they played it live. Boom. Perfect. And it was the most exciting thing I ever heard in my life. I just, and I, I was like, I couldn't believe humans could do that. You know, and then later on, I heard Maurice Andre. I couldn't believe humans could do that either. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, 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 uh, I had this strange disconnect between recorded music and what occurred live until I, you know, kind of late heard some live music and then later, you know, great artists and symphonies go, Oh, okay. You know, cause I was in this little world of, you know, marching around and honking and, you know, and having fun. And then I went to school and I was, you know, to college and I was confronted with, you know, all these musical uh, requirements, you know, and I, I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Uh, so it was a, and I, I scuffled and I, I tried to catch up as fast as I could. I got in as many ensembles as I, I think I was in six ensembles at the same time one, one semester, you know, just to try to learn music styles and et cetera. And, and as it, as it happens, I'm happy that I have had that, that background, you know, rather than going to, you know, prestigious music camps and, you know, maybe I'd be better off. I don't know, but um, this is where I am. Yeah, well, you know, you, your experiences made you who you are, and uh, yeah, you, you've had a you've had a good career. So, you know, I had a pretty good career. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. I think the first day, the, my first day on the job was a recording session, and they said show up at this address, and I did. And here's the orchestra set up in this giant room, and we're playing Manon Lesko, and Pavarotti was standing about twelve feet behind me, and he started singing. And I went, and it was like, oh, that's what it's about. It was, it was an amazing moment, you know, to hear these, you know, live singers, especially yeah. someone like that. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, when, and when you think about it, you know, this is obviously a, you know, a, a trumpet centric uh, podcast, but uh, when you, when you think about uh, some of the, the, the singers that you've had the opportunity to work with, they are some of the most famous names in music, you know, of, of the past century or ish. Uh, so, um, like, I, I, I can only imagine what it would be like to, to stand there in the same room on the same stage with a Pavarotti or, a, a, or, you know, Placido Domingo or, you know, something like that. I, what, what was it about Pavarotti that made Pavarotti so Pavarotti? <laughs> Maybe you're asking the wrong person, but I think a lot of people have expounded on it. A lot, a lot of people think he was the greatest natural opera singer ever in history. Uh, but he had that he had that incredible ring in his voice, and it was it was exciting and thrilling and compelling. Everything that that he sang, I can't you know I can't say any you know more than that. It, it, it was a combination of natural gifts, you know. And, and training and uh, uh, it's just it's just amazing. Uh, uh, I'm not an expert on singing, uh, but um, it's it's wonderful to be with these people. Or or sometimes, as I said, the, the trumpets would often play on stage, or we'd have off stage things, and so you could talk to some of these people. They'd be you know between scenes, and you're talking to Sam Raimi, let's say the the great bass, and then he gets his cue. And I'm watching, you know, you're in the wings and he goes out and he becomes Mephistopheles, right? And you're like, you know, 
And it's, it's like, they're great singing actors mm -hmm. besides, you know, being, you know, remarkable, you know, voices. And, uh, it was just, uh, and I think maybe like I alluded to earlier, um, if you're surrounded by artists like that, even the densest musician can't help but be affected somewhat, even by osmosis. Right. Uh, you know, it, it can't help but lift you up a little bit, even if you don't quite understand, you know, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So the, the, like the, the Met Orchestra is the most, I think it's, a lot of people think it's the best orchestra in the world, but I think it's the most flexible orchestra, certainly, because they've always got their antenna out and they're, they've got the conductor, they're listening to each other, and they're listening to the stage at the same time. And everything moves and they adjust to pitch, time, rhythm with the singers. And so when they would play, Levine introduced these uh, a series of symphony concerts. When we would play in Carnegie Hall symphonic repertory, we played it differently than everybody else. It was more, it breathed more. It was more humane. And I think that was a result of, of working with these singers all the time, you know. And so it's, uh, it's, it was just a great blessing to be, um, you know, in that orchestra and in that milieu and and hearing those great artists yeah well you know what you you said you know like being a musical performer you know a music a, a, an actor singing actor um i think that that's something that you know tying that in with the idea of, of, of learning through osmosis and just being in that environment all the time um do you feel like that that seeped into you the you know the the being in character when you play i hope so uh, I can't say you'd have to talk to other people, but I hope so. Yeah. I, I try to, uh, inhabit different characters and, um, um, and, and, and like I said, sometimes I got to do stage work and I got to be a character, but when I play music, I try to inhabit, you know, that music. And, um, for instance, when we would play some opera that I considered kind of boring, let's say Norma or some early 19th century opera that's on the face of it, it's really boring stuff. I used to play a game. I used to pretend, what did this sound like to people in 1820, 1830? And how revolutionary must, or how cool must this have been? And so I try to do a little time travel game with myself and not, not, not try to see it through the eyes of 2010 or, or whenever it was, you know? Uh, so, yeah. And I, I try to get a little bit, you know, closer to that. And, and I, I do try to make my, as I said, I want to have, as much character in my playing as possible. And that was one of the things that, one of the big demands that Levine made of the orchestra was he wanted maximum characterization. You know, he, you don't want everything to sound like this. You don't want it to sound CD perfect and boring. Well, you, you don't want a bunch of mistakes, but you want a lot of character. You know, when this part is, is uh, exciting or humorous or buoyant or tragic or whatever, you know, an opera is just, it's, that's the very definition of, you know, melodrama, operatic. And you, we want that in our playing because we're trying to elicit emotions or send messages, you know, whether it's how I'm feeling, you know, at a certain time, that would be maybe the, the jazz player's um, uh, uh, kind of what he's after. It, but in my case, it's interpretive. What does, what does uh, Hummel or Halsey Stevens or this artist or Gershwin want here? you know, in my interpretation on that and how, how can I sell that, you know, to the audience and make the music come alive and be, you know, interesting and, and, um, 
uh, valuable or, or I forget the, the words escaping me coherent, uh, but anyway, um, hopefully I got the idea across. Yeah. I, I need to work with my thesaurus more. Yeah. There you go. Um, when, when you are, you know, you, when you think about any, any trumpet player, okay, if, if I ask any trumpet player, you can, well, hopefully, they'll be able to, to to name the players that have influenced their approach and their sound, uh, whether it be, you know, Bud or Maurice or Maynard or, you know, whoever. Um, but, and Maynard is a, a very interesting one to, to go with because uh, when people would ask him a lot about his, uh, what influenced him and his approach to sound, it was opera. Uh, and yeah. I think Doc is an opera fan too, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. So, so if you had to pick one or a few uh, vocalists who have influenced your approach to playing, uh, could you name a few? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't think speci not specifically. You know, but but a lot of, um, I think a lot of, uh, and, and maybe I was more influenced by pop singers than opera singers. You know, people like uh, Barbara Streisand or David Clayton Thomas or, or, you know, or people or Karen Carpenter, people with these compelling voices or Freddie Mercury, you know. Um, uh, but I don't think of specific people. I, I do hope there's a kind of osmosis effect, but but no, not necessarily. Um, um and I'm not trying to imitate uh, any particular artist or or singer, but just trying to get the the you know concepts of phrasing and resonance across. Because I'm never going to sound like Renee Fleming or um, oh uh, uh, Ruth Ann Swenson was a, a favorite of mine. She had one of those voices. It had such a gorgeous sound from entire the entire range, and I, I was like, I'd love to sound like that and have that that you know that compelling um chicos used to call it an engaging sound that draws the audience in you know rather than just getting the notes um so no i can't i, I i'm gonna opt out i can't say there was a specific singer i have favorites and if they influence my playing it's un subconsciously right well, who, yeah. who are some of those favorites well the, the ones i named and i i think as we get older we become a little bit more broad-minded, you know, and you can listen back to, you know, some some older, you know, older pop singers, you know, like um, Bing Crosby, you know, people like that. These, Rosemary Clooney, these were amazing singers, you know, and, and today, you know, um, uh, someone like Adele, incredible singer, you know, and uh, Whitney Houston was amazing these these people that were you know they they have that when they sing they they capture your attention and and they they really um communicate the message you know mm -hmm. uh Aretha Franklin holy crap you know can't go wrong with Aretha no i you know or, or sister Rosetta Tharp people with that that have that and maybe it's not about their vocal gift. All the the people we mentioned had that. It's about their um, emotional energy, mm -hmm. and and you know because there you know there are people with kind of bad voices too that are very famously Bob Dylan, right? But they still you know they still get that the message across. 
Yeah. Well, and, and that's, yeah. that's something that, that um, you know, I'd struggled with and I guess still struggle with uh, to this day is having been told so many times, you know, what a good trumpet sound is. Um, and often, and, and it, it was never about the stuff that when I talk to really great trumpet players that they use to describe a great trumpet sound because to them a great trumpet sound isn't necessarily that you sound like you know Chickowitz or you know anybody like that it, it's that you have that resonance in your sound you have you're centered you're you know that the, all those concepts as opposed to a specific kind of sound um so it's always struggling right. with you know that the, the demands of my playing is primarily uh, you know, pop music. And so, if, right. you know, I need to have that edge. I need to have that sizzle. I need to be able to cut through in, in yes. that you, you're talking about like that, that more compressed kind of uh, sound as opposed to, right. you, know, you know, the, the huge orchestral sound. And as much as I would love it, sometimes I would think I really would love to have that. I'm like, well, you know, at this point in my career, I don't have the time to, to work on all of those. I'm happy just you know, staying in this camp. Right. But I think that it's that idea that, um, you know, because when I listen to vocalists, I never listen to a vocalist really and and say, well, they shouldn't be a singer. They shouldn't be a, a successful singer. They shouldn't be a popular singer because they, you know, Franklin doesn't sound like Pavarotti, you know, so you can't, but, but you know, those are two different camps. Exactly. They're two different idioms. Yeah. And, and they're they're both doing what they do really well yeah and they admire each other and, and like the trumpet players like um oh dizzy gillespie and maurice andre were big fans of each other but you you almost could find two more different guys or or you know bud herseth and maynard ferguson you know but and, and maynard's probably unique individual i think he was probably an alien but you know uh he was absolutely you know stunningly unique uh but yeah, I think we're formed by the, the players we hear. I, I was, I listened to everything I get my hands on. Maurice Andre was my model for so long. He was, I, I just think he was the best, you know, and I was fortunate to hear him live. And, and it turns out he was just such a brilliant showman as well. And, you know, uh, uh, but he had that, uh, he had that, he could play one note and you'd go, you know, aside from his amazing virtuosity, uh, but I have a funny story for you that pinges on this. For a while, I studied with this old school guy in, in uh, Chicago, Frank Lazzani. He was a little Italian guy. He talked like this all the time. And he was talking about, he was talking about Louis, Louis Armstrong. And he says, Louis couldn't play, but he could play. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he was saying that his technique was just all wrong, but his, his musicianship his stupendous musicianship overcame everything. Yeah. And I, I think Mel yeah. Broyles was kind of the same way. You know, I sat next to him. He did everything wrong that I could possibly think of. And he overcame it all through maniacal practice and iron force of will. And he was a stunning trumpet player. You know, it, when it was just remarkable to watch him, you know, so not by the textbook, but, you know, he overcame that, you know, again, through, manic force of will and a lot of uh, great players i think herseth and some other guys shared that incredible uh um 
work ethic. Those men worked very hard to sound as good as they did in concentration. I don't mean physically working when they play, but their concentration and their work ethic to become and remain at that high level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, at, at the end of the day, it's, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like, you know, your, what is your measure of success? And, you know, if uh, I would hope that for me as a musician, uh, what I want my measure of success to be is that people just feel, they feel like their time spent listening to me left them in a better place. You know, and, and and playing in a bar band is fine because you know, uh, you know, they come. Of course, they came in. They had a crappy day, and they 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 danced all night, and then they, you know, they they leave, and and they're like, man, I had such a great time. I'm so glad I came out. That to me yeah. is more important to whether you know I nailed every note or anything like that. So if, right. if people had a good time and they feel better because of something that I was a part of, then I was successful, and I get a call back. And I like to tell. And I like to tell people some of the mo the happiest musicians I know are amateurs and some of the most bitter are professionals. So, you know, being a professional, I used to think if I could be a professional musician, I'd achieve, you know, I'd, I'd achieved uh, my goal and it in a way I did, but that didn't guarantee happiness, <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of times I, you know, I would love to play in a bar band or play in a tower of power cover band. I love that stuff. You know, um, I think there was a, I went to the very, the first ITG conference I went to, um, Lee Thornburg gave a, a presentation and he's a humorous guy and a great monster player, but he said something about, yeah, I was, when I went to the Manhattan School of Music in New York, I studied with Mel Broyles and it was my goal to play second trumpet in the Metropolitan Opera, you know, to Mel Broyles. And, um, I, Later that night, they had a, a cocktail party thing in the, and a jazz group was playing. And I, I came up to him and I said, I have your job and you have mine. Because <laughs> I always wanted to play in the Tower of Power. That was my goal. And yeah. I'm playing second trumpet to Mel Brooks. <laughs> well, I, I, and yeah, I tell you, Lee, I love Lee. I mean, to me, his sound is and, and, and style is the epitome of that type of playing just mm -hmm. I mean, he just yeah I, I listen to him like anytime i'm heading to a gig i always have uh some lee thornburg tracks queued up in my car because i want to get that sound in my head yeah sure it's inspiring yeah. yeah 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 absolutely all right well speaking of sound we have a we have a few uh episodes uh, not episodes we have a few segments that we do every uh every episode and uh, they're standard segments and our first one is brought to us by my good friend michael barkley of barkley microphones and it's called sound off and sound off is about sound uh and particularly about sound concepts and you know maybe a, a tip or two that you could give uh the boys and girls at home uh to get that trumpet sound that they are searching for When it's the easiest to produce, it's usually the best. And that's a rare win-win. So when you find a technique where you get the most sound with the least effort, it's usually your best sound. So, um, and sometimes we try too hard. You know, we really go for it. We really try it and we kind of bollocks ourselves up and usually it's the easiest. And so that's, that's, a, that's a fortunate thing. So I, I just try to make it, we've been using the word resonance, but you know, uh, kind of make the horn, you know, kind of vibrate into my hands. Ah, just like my voice vibrates into my head, you know, and uh, 
that's been a kind of a um, kind of a rule of thumb that's been very helpful. You know, the easiest path, unlike mo- a lot of life, is usually the best in, in terms of creating a tone. Oh, this is very easy. Usually, it sounds the best. Okay, cool. So, like that, and sing, you know, sing and your trust voice. your ears. You can trust yourself. You know, hey, I think that sounds good. It probably does. You know, you don't necessarily have have to have a teacher, you know, confirm that, you know, and the more you listen to other players, you get a, you develop a sense of uh, what's good and what's maybe poor. And, you know, if you make a beautiful sound, I think you can trust that the audience will find it beautiful as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, our next segment is brought to us by uh, Doug McVeigh of Venture Mouthpieces, Venture where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect and uh, use a code TrumpetGurus21 and you can receive 10% off your order. How about that, folks? Um, This is about gear. And, uh, you know, you got to talk gear. Come on, man. You can't have two trumpet players get together and not talk gear. But in typical Trumpet Gurus fashion, uh, I want to know more about your concepts of gear, uh, how you approach the kind of gear that you use, and, you know, the the suggestions that you might have for people of of how to approach uh, choosing the right gear for the job. Um, look to the, the, in whatever idiom you're playing in, look to the players that you admire and see what they're doing. Chances are they're using certain gear for a certain reason. I steer, I would steer clear of ex, I'm gonna get in trouble, extreme trumpets, really strangely designed trumpets. If you're going to work with other people in town, you want to have something that's pretty similar that's going to work with other guys if you're a soloist yeah you can have a weird you know 18 pound trumpet with you know all kinds of doodads on it but you know but it's that's a soloist instrument and if you want to work with other guys and likewise mouthpieces most like symphony guys will play something in a certain range and usually they, they there's a similarity and there's a reason for that you know, they, you know, so you've let somebody else do your research for you. Yeah. Most guys will use a little bit larger hole in the the throat, a little certain shape of backboard, a little bit bigger. Most guys will do that. There's a reason for that. And so I wouldn't stray too far from that until you're perhaps really accomplished. And I like to have my gear also um, mouthpiece. Um, I think the volume of the mouthpiece roughly corresponds to the trumpet. So if I play an E-flat trumpet, I play a little bit more compact mouthpiece. Piccolo, a little bit more compact mouthpiece, just so it has, it balances with the instrument. Um, uh, so again, stay away from extreme stuff. And and and, um, and again, tr- trust yourself. Uh, now, I'm going to contradict myself. Some If somebody says, you have to play a Bach number one mouthpiece to play this symphony excerpt, let's say, and you just can't play the darn mouthpiece, oh, play something <laughs> that fits you, you know, play something a little smaller, you know, uh, it, there's no reason that you have to play this mouthpiece because so-and-so did, and, and perhaps they're an exceptional person, you know, an exceptional, uh, I think, I think Herseth went to very large mouthpieces after he had an injury, had that terrible injury to his face, and he had a whole bunch of scar tissue. Before that, he was playing like box 7C mouthpieces, and you can hear that, you know, in those old recordings. So I've just contradicted myself terribly. Um, but, I, but I would stay away from crazy mouthpieces and really unusual trumpets, unless you're in a, a solo situation or it's, it's um, you know, a custom equipment designed to do a very specific job. 
super high compression mouthpiece for lead trumpet work absolutely but you know understand that it's it's designed uh, to 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 do that work and and uh younger players generally you want something kind of middle in the road middle of the road because you're going to be stepping between different idioms you know uh, uh, and again i wouldn't be uh i'm sorry i'm, I'm kind of blathering on I do change equipment for different different situations. You know, if you're going to play in a big band, which I haven't done in about 40 years, um, I would not take a symphony mouthpiece, you know, because you're not going to get the right sound. Or if you do get the right sound, you're going to have to do a lot of really hard, you know, really damaging physical things to get that cutting sound that you need. Get, get an appropriate mouthpiece, you know, for that. And likewise, you know, your, your Alhurt jet tone is not going to make a very nice sound on on your Brahms symphony, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, all about uh, our perspective on that one, I guess. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was kind of all over the map on that. But, uh, you know, you can kind of learn from your uh, colleagues and, and other professionals. And also be aware if if uh, somebody's kind of trying to push their own mouthpiece or if they're a, if they're a, um, you know, sponsor of a certain kind of horn or something. They may have a commercial interest, you know, uh, in that. Uh, uh, I know there were some guys, there were some teachers who pushed certain instruments, you know, I think they had, you know, kind of an investment in the company and it was to their benefit. And that's not really cool. You know? yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Disclaimers. We need, we need to yeah. have you know, those, those disclaimers. Yeah. But you don't, you don't want to be the strange guy on the job too. You show up with a completely different setup and you're not going to, it's not going to be, it's not going to blend with the other cats, you know, uh, whether you're in an orchestra or in a Broadway pit, you know, so uh, you want to stay. And, and maybe you should have a couple of different trumpets if you're going to you work with different guys. I don't know. But um, I am I play pretty middle of the road stuff, Bach 37. And I don't play anything. You know, I have some little different instruments, but not too far. And it, it, it does pretty well. Um, but um, uh, so just, you know, pay attention to what's what people are playing in your community, in your field of endeavor, you know, uh, et cetera. Uh, and, and use that to inform your, your decision, you know? So I don't, I don't think you need, I'm sorry. I, I can blather on all day, which I indeed am doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. No, but I, yeah, I, I think it all ties back into, you know, like what you're saying about, um, sound and, you know, if it's easier, it's probably right. You know, it, it's that if, if you're letting your sound, if you're dictating your choices based on on your sound concept, uh, the gear that get lets you most easily get that sound is probably the right gear. Right, and and you also want to some gear is, has has a a place and a, and a and an effect, but mostly it's your technique. Mostly it's how you produce the sound, and that's. For instance, you know, like a like a great player is going to sound great on almost everything. They may not be most really super comfortable, but uh, they're going to sound great. Doc is you know would or whomever you know Doc famously played all kinds of different instruments through his career. He always sounded like Doc, uh, Bud, etc. Um, uh, so uh, try to be aware of what. Don't buy equipment to um, uh, make up for. Uh, shortcomings in your technique and your practice. And that's where a good teacher and, or coach can be helpful and say, you know, maybe you don't want to buy this, you know, super crazy monster wide bore trumpet to get this 
you know, sound, maybe it's a, maybe we should goof with the technique a little bit and uh, maybe you can save a lot of money and, you know, be happier uh, if we experiment with this practice. And, and trumpet players are, are maybe second only to golfers and buying equipment to, um, uh, to compensate for things that they can't do very well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just have an awareness, you know, of that, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. That's a great answer. All right. Well, we have uh, one final segment to do, and this is brought to us by our good friends at Robinson's Remedies, uh, rapid relief for your sore entire chops. And this is our Robinson's Remedies rapid fire round. It's a series of questions that bounce all over the place. Uh, and this could be ugly. This, this <laughs> could be really interesting. All right. Uh, children, you may want to put your earmuffs on. Uh, so here we go. It's a series of questions all over the place. We're going to start with the first one. Peter Bond, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? My wife. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite book? Besides the singing trumpet. I read widely. So, um, uh, there's a series of Patrick O'Brien seafaring novels that I've read three times. So uh, the first one is Master and Commander that was kind of made into a movie. Uh, so I'd have to say that was among my favorites. I've read them many times. So I love them. They're okay. literature. Yeah. Very good. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? The worst movie? Oh, I can't even remember what it was. Um, uh, worst movie. I don't think I can answer that. I, nothing's coming to mind. I mean, I saw some stuff in college. I don't even remember the names of them, but worst movie. You're reading too many books. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing, I'm completely drawing a blank. Okay. Well, well, well I'm we'll, sorry. We'll let you pass on that one. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm blocking those negative, uh, negative experiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. If you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Oh, gosh, I always wanted to be a, a, a visual artist or an architect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your favorite drink? Uh, I do like scotch. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. Single malt? Isla, Isla style, probably, you know, Lagavulin, 16-year-old, you know. Yeah, 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 I'll do in a pinch. It's not just for breakfast anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that's what I use for valve oil, actually. Oh, there you go. Okay. Uh, um, you uh, are going to have a dinner party. And at this dinner party, you could invite any three people in the world, any three people in the entire world you can have at this party. Who would you want to be have join you? Wow. In time or, or living today? Living today. Any three living people. Oh, uh I've always thought about this, but in terms of people from the past, uh, living people, I think Barack Obama would be just absolutely, you know, fascinating to have. Um, um, uh, I'm trying to think of, of I, I'm th all the musicians, musicians that are coming to mind have recently died. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, probably Gustavo Dudamel, one of my favorite. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, 
just I am in a certain frame of mind, so I, I would name another conductor who I um, um, uh, Simon Rattle is just the greatest guy. All right, very good. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I feel terrible for naming two conductors. That's going to get me on the on the yeah yeah. All right. Well, this this one should be easier for you since you said uh, you've already done this. Uh, so you have three more chairs at that table. You can invite any three people from history. Yeah, I think it'd be like people like um, Mark Twain, Winston Churchill, um, and maybe. Um, Maybe Duke Ellington. Okay. I mean, I don't know how they get along together, but uh, they're, they're, they're three of the most fascinating people, you know. All right. Next question. Lacquer, plated, or raw? I like, this is weird. I like, I like lacquered instruments. I do. Um, a lot of, some of my instruments are raw, um, but, um, and that's, you know, just because they're old, but um, I, my, my rotary trumpets are lacquered and I prefer them that way. So, but I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, I don't hold any prejudice against one or the other. Okay. Equal opportunity offender. Yeah, exactly. I sound bad on all of them. <laughs> all right. What's your favorite quote? My favorite quote. Well, I have a lot of them. The one that just came into my mind is, um, I think it's Mark Twain. I think, uh, and it's, um, outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> I think Twain said that. That sounds like a Twain. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, what's your greatest fear? Oh, I, um, I guess suppose it's, it's already upon me, but losing the ability to play, having my, all my skills, you know, fall away, um, or at least that's what's, you know, apart from existential fears, um, uh, because playing has been so much a part of my identity for so long. And I know that the, the day will come when I can't play anymore or I'll play so poorly that I just won't want to open the case anymore. And, and I, I kind of dread that, you know, so kind of, that's a kind of selfish thing, but uh, that's where I am right now. Wow. Maybe because we're talking about playing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. You could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Oh man. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I've thought about things like that because, you know, when you're kids, you see the superhero comics. And I, I, I keep thinking that whatever superpower that you might have would come with a, an equally unpleasant curse, you know, and I can't help but, you know, like if being able to read minds, for instance, you'd learn a lot of stuff that you really don't want to know. Right. And, and, and I think, uh, uh, maybe I don't, if I were going to be crazy about time travel, you know, if that was a superpower and I could go hear, you know, Arben and Louis Armstrong and Buddy Bolden and, you know, and handle, you know, so if we want to call that a superpower, yeah, 
That's a superpower. That's yeah. Right. All right. Um, what aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? Oh, probably uh, the ability to play loud and high. You know, that's two, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, the, the strength aspect uh, to it, you know. Okay. And what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Clarity. Uh, playing with, uh, that's something I try to cultivate, but clarity or or underrated or under here's maybe this is the way to answer it what i hear what i would like to hear more now in trumpet players in trumpet playing in profession at a professional level is expression and emotion I, right now i hear it's yeah i hear cd like perfection and it just bores me and i would like to hear as i said characterization i guess musicianship you know you, that, that's you know yeah. make something happen yeah i like that All right um speaking of your superpower you can go back in time and hey give, all right there you go and give your younger self one piece of advice about music what would it be boy there's a lot of pieces of advice i'd like to give myself about music um Listen more, I suppose, uh, and, and take it. Uh, listen more and take advantage of what's around you. You know what's available to you, whether it's you know your colleagues or records, and you know listen listen with care. You know. Okay. And that was kind of an uninteresting answer. <laughs> well, and while you're back there, you're going to give younger self one piece of advice about life. Uh uh, be more compassionate, care about other people more, be less selfish. All right. And final question for you, Peter Bond, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, um, I suppose, I suppose if I were able, it would be uh, a teaching and, and helping people, you know, play more easily and express themselves, you know, a little better. So that's, that's kind of what, uh, what the the book is about and i'd like that to you know i think it's my most most important work and I, and i find teaching more rewarding than playing you know helping other people you know do what they do so i guess so teaching all right that sounds good uh so where can people find your book i think it, it was published by carl fisher um and so any place that sells Carl Fisher uh, books, I mean, all the major outlets have had it. Uh, uh, this is maybe good news, bad news. It's sold out of a lot of places. So I've people tell me that I've tried to get it from Amazon or Sheet Music Plus and they're sold out. And so I don't know, but it's a Carl, Carl Fisher, you know, place. So, you know, music stores and, and music dealers, you know, should have it. And I think they also sell it as a, they may sell it as a PDF. I'm not. I'm not sure. They, um, they should. We, we, yeah, I don't. I don't know how they're actually doing that. Uh, how they handle that, but um, uh, yeah, I, I can't even get it. Let me put it. That, put it that way. You know, 
That's that. Yeah. Carl That's Fisher it. sent me three free copies and that was it. You know, <laughs> now you have to buy the rest. Yeah. And I got to buy my own book, you know, so, okay. You know, well, the name of the book is the singing trumpet. And uh, if you can find it, grab uh, a copy. If you can find two copies, buy two and send one to me. So <laughs> uh, you can find it wherever, uh, hopefully you'll be able to find it somewhere. Uh, so anyway, uh, Peter, thank you so much for spending time with me. I hope that the, you enjoyed this session as much as I did. I did, and I will check out some of your other uh, your other interviews too. I, you've got a lot of interesting people on there. Uh, there are some some really interesting people, and if we could just get a better host, the show would be so much better. Yeah, so, work on that, won't you? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get somebody with some hair. You know, yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> big hair. You know, yeah. Well, that was the seventies, man. 70s. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, that's why I don't have any oh, now. All this right. was a total. This was a total pleasure. It was a guest. Right. Well, I hope that we can uh, talk again uh, at some point. I, I find your approach fascinating, uh, and uh, once I get a hand, uh, get my hands on that book, I may have some questions for you about some stuff. Okay, so. and I don't, you know, I don't think you necessarily need to have the book to kind of just try to start implementing some of the ideas. Right? Oh, can I play like I sing? And you can kind of teach yourself a little bit along those lines. You know. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot on my next gig. Okay. Sure. All right. And uh, so thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share, uh, whatever it is that, that you do on social media these days. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, uh, videos. <laughs> yeah, videos. Yeah. And, uh, and join us uh, for our next episode because uh, we've got some great guests coming up and go back and catch the old library. There's, there's lots of great stuff. And yeah, I'm going to uh, dive into that and check out some of those. All right. We've got some fun stuff going on here. So thank you, folks. And as always, peace and slide grease. We out. <laughs> Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm -hmm.